Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. Look at this. This is incredible. Give yourselves a big round of applause. This is one of the... This might be the largest. I've been here in Iowa now. This is day 11. Day 11 for Bernie. And... This might be our largest crowd. This is incredible. Wow. Cedar Rapids. Cedar Rapids made it happen. Thank you very much uh, for, for being here. And I, I just want to say that uh, we are so close now. We're 48 hours away from finding out what Iowa is going to do historically. The historic night this Monday night. The history that can be made here. You did this in 2008. You did this. Everybody said Barack Obama couldn't win. It's not going to happen. And Iowa will never vote for Barack Hussein Obama. Do you remember that? And look what you did. You made history. In 48 hours, I believe you are going to make history again with Bernie Sanders. Last week, I went on the road to Iowa for the caucuses, and I followed Bernie Sanders' campaign from Cedar Rapids to Des Moines. I wanted to uh, share some of those experiences with you. So we started in Cedar Rapids, and that was the night of the rally with Vampire Weekend. There was a historical turnout of, I think, uh, 3,500 to 3,700 folks, which is quite a large uh, group for Cedar Rapids, which has a population, I think, of about 150,000. My favorite speech came from Nina Turner because she's just such an amazing speaker. Here's some of that. Well, I want to quote Booker T. Washington, who once said, there are two ways of exerting one's strength. One is by pushing down. The other is by pulling up. We are a pull-up kind of people. Hello, somebody. Can a sister recognize just for a moment that this is the first day of Black History Month in 2020. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Come on. And on this day, on February the 1st, in Greensboro, North Carolina, some brothers had the courage to sit down at a counter at Woolworths, demanding full equality and respect and dignity for African-American people, the struggle of African-American people are rooted in a liberation struggle. And we find ourselves in 2020, the rainbow mosaic of humanity united for liberation. Hello, somebody. We also heard from an exuberant Dr. Cornell West who brought down the house. Let the word go forth here and now. We're on the way to the White House. And we're going to win this time. And we're going to win because of you. We're going to win because those slash stone called ordinary people all around this nation are engaging in a moral and spiritual awakening. And any time ordinary people straighten their backs up, they're going somewhere because folk can't ride your back unless it's bent. And we straightening up. And we want to say to the establishment that the genie is out of the bottle now. And you can't put it back. Because we on fire. 
We on fire for truth and the condition of truth is to allow suffering to speak. We on fire for justice and justice is what love looks like in public. So we say to the nation, get on the love train. Get on the love train, but what the lies at the bottom of that train, the foundation, the pillars, the very grounds of it are integrity, honesty, decency, generosity, empathy, vision of a better society. We're not talking about greed. We're not talking about average. We're talking about hatred. We're talking about deep forms of compassion and love. You heard what Brother Michael was talking about. Brother Moore's right. And this is the moment. This is a very difficult moment because neo-fascism is escalating all around the world. And neo-fascism ain't nothing but a form of nihilism with the rule of big money and big military that tries to somehow scapegoat the most vulnerable so we can't come together in solidarity and confront the most powerful. That's what this campaign is about. Anyone interested in hearing the entire audio file of the Cedar Rapids rally can do so on the podcast. I uploaded it as a bonus episode. So the next morning, we continued on to the field offices uh, all the way down to Des Moines. We started in Cedar Rapids. I had the opportunity to speak with uh, Chris Dean, who is the precinct captain for uh, Cedar Rapids, and he had this to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Um. Well, a lot of reasons, but what it really comes down to for me is, um, uh, you know, I've been involved with politics my whole adult life, uh, and I've been involved with democratic politics. I, I actually worked on the Obama campaign uh, in 2008, which feels like forever ago, um, and uh, in this weird timeline we live in where, you know, January 2020 takes six months out of our lives. But uh, <laughs> um, anyway, so, uh, but yeah. What, what, what's different about Bernie, and I've been following him for a long time, and what's different about Bernie is he understands the importance of movement politics and the and, and the, the importance of of power and and and, and, and uh, being able to exercise that power through a mass movement to actually influence change in a real substantive way um, without having to have half measures. No, this is my this is my nephew. This is my son. Yeah. Um, yeah. So says Bernie beats Trump. Yeah, so, um, and, and, you know, the big thing is no half measures. Um, what, what I don't want to see is something that's going to get um, any, any sort of policy, like thinking like Medicare for All or Green New Deal, something that's going to um, get kneecapped by not being able to be um, moving fast enough so that it can just be undone by another administration. Um, and more importantly, because he has the actual progr- you know, progressive... Uh, movement behind him and a giant movement of people that are demanding this that's going to uh, get the clout that he needs to be able to get this done and, and to be able to do it in four years and that's that's what it really comes down to for me. Let, me let me ask you a question did you want to go bottom line I did there was a, two things I want to ask you yeah. yeah he didn't he didn't yeah, he, he, yeah, he, uh, I was part of that organization, I was part of OFA, and, uh, there was this huge organization of people that was behind him when he was elected in 2008, and I think his biggest mistake was not keeping that organization intact, because 
when 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 Bernie Sanders is nominated and and if he wins the presidency, that's the beginning. That's not the end, right? That the idea is that that organization, this all of this needs to stay in place. And if Obama had done that, he may have had more of an actual clout he would have needed to be able to get actual substantive change. Well, and 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 it, it's not even that. It's it's that he was just not a very good negotiator because you have you have to. He wasn't negotiating from a position of strength on anything, especially healthcare. I mean, Obamacare ended up. Very good. Although you know what David called him? Called him. Sure. I I think that I think that yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. I think he is a neoliberal that that um uh that at heart that has good intentions enough to pave to the road to hell, but um but also sort of functions from the idea yeah. that um, it's trying to be a healer when what we needed was a fighter. Fair. You know what? Very good analysis. I love you. Yeah. Part two of this question is, you had a very large chunk of all the voters that turned around and voted for Trump. Yes. Talk to some of them, actually. Okay, so I don't know what else is true. For me, I really strongly get it. Trump is the disease. Trump is the disease. Absolutely. Absolutely, it's it's the it's the decreasing material conditions that have been uh, constantly happening for the past 50, 60 years. The the, the fall of unions over the past, um, you know, and, and the lowering of power of them that they've had. The uh, the the problems of um, uh, you know real wages haven't been rising for however long, and they haven't been tracking with GDP. Right, exactly. You know the the you know pay gaps, things like that. And it's just people are sick of it never getting better. And and that was that was what happened with Trump was was it was I think a rejection of liberalism in a very real way and and or neoliberalism and um, that and the, the the Democratic Party needs to figure out that this is only going to work if it's coming from the left now and um, because they're the only ones that are actually addressing the material conditions of the average person to be able to make sure and 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 and, and build the actual uh, you know system that's going to improve people's lives. That, that's what it comes down to. I, uh, so, I think the, the failure of the DNC is getting left. What are you doing? Well, anyway, of course, I take it. Bernie Pete Trump. She's telling me she's a Bernie supporter. Sure. Can you say that loud? It is. Because she has two jobs. Yeah, right? So, do you think how common a privilege is that? What are you doing? Um, it's really common. A lot of people. Yeah, but but uh, no, she's, she's right though. Like it, it 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 is a problem. And when I'm knocking doors, that's a big part of what we're doing. We're not just we're not just going and saying, hey, you're voting for Bernie, you know where you're going, cool. It's also, do you need a ride? Do you have time off work? Do you have childcare figured out? Being able to get all of that as, as part of it. You've, you've seen in some, in some, and I don't, can't speak for my own district on this, but you've seen like some really, really populous uh, precincts in Iowa, mostly in Des Moines, some of them in here in Iowa City, where they have these like weird like ad hoc daycares that they'll put together um, at the actual caucus locations. So um, I've, I've lived in Iowa my whole life. I've, I've caucused many times and um so I, I, i'm familiar with this how this works bringing being able to bring kids makes it's gonna make things a little bit easier um and um but yeah there are some people that can't get off work but what i'm finding is that the people that I, i'm talking to that were like you know that are really really gung-ho about it are like 
they're making the time. They're they're figuring out a way. I work two jobs. I'm calling it sick. You know, I'm 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 doing something because this is this is more important than me going and earning another. You know, right? This is last last off rant to Armageddon, and it's on the left. So. <laughs> Right. That's that's you know and, and the thing is our generation is starting to figure it out. It's like wait, 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 wait. You guys all went to college for free? What the hell? <laughs> yeah. What the hell happened? How did we get rid of that? Yep. Yes, and and that's and that's what's happening. Why is it that all the youngest people want the oldest guy? And, and you know why is that? Why is that? It's 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 because because he saw what was he saw he was the only one that's saying, hey, the house is on fire. Hey, the house is on fire for. Our, our entire lives. Yeah. So I actually have some old video footage of Bernie talking about Medicare for all in Yeah. Yeah. So he's been talking about this for He was he was talking about he was talking about um uh gay rights before or like what two two years after Stonewall but in when the when the term gay rights wasn't even a phrase like he had to come up with if you actually go read it the essays he's doing in Vermont then in the seventies and it's like he has um you know couples who are of the same sex or the same gender and because the word gay wasn't actually in the public sphere yet <laughs> and like that's and same thing with Roe v Wade same thing with uh, you know Medicare for all same thing with uh, you know talking about the the military industrial complex and how how wasteful that is with that spending anti-war it's 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 when you're getting it right this often did you fill it up did you fill the gas up? Is it still the gas up? Yeah. Or no, actually, it's just seven seconds. Which I said, Yeah. Right. No, this is, this is, this is just true. Like, it is like... So, um, I think that that right it, more, that is coming a little bit more and more into light, and a little bit more and more into the mainstream as the uh, as the years are going on, and more people are, are bringing attention to it. Um, and I think that overall, the big the and and it, it's part of us. It, you know, it's a smaller point of a larger problem, which is is the the defense industry complex that is has a stranglehold on our national budget and and people are sick of that and the cia is part of that uh the um uh, a lot of different programs are all part of that uh that are you know a, a lot of the not not even talking about just like the you know the saber rattling and stuff with iran but just the the occupations that we have we still have troops in 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 germany we still have troops in right right it's just, it's just that you don't have nice neat little borders like you do with Rome. You know, it's, it's not it's not quite like that. You know, that it's, it's like it's like when there are no borders. There are, there are, well, they have all these little little borders that way nobody can tell who's exploiting who. You know, right? So. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and even Eisenhower said. Yeah, hang on. 
What did Eisenhower say? Don't trust the military um, industrial yeah, complex. Yeah, about his farewell address that he gave in his last speech in office, right. and he warned about the increasing military. What he was talking about is like the Raytheons, the Boeings, right? They are contacted by our military. They were having too much influence. And before that, he said he never had a target on this industry. That was how he opened this speech. This is right. Yeah, out of, out of well, out of the Cold War because after I mean, think about it. After World War One, uh, we demobilized, right? We de we demobilized our military. Send the boys home. And um, World War Two happened. We mobilized again, did our thing, and then we just never demobilized because of the the Cold well, War and and, and then and then we went straight into the Which Korean was actually War. Actually, technically not a war. It was a police action. A police action. And then. And then, and then Vietnam, and then Iran Contra, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and so on, and so forth. And and so you have an entire generation, several generations at this point, of people who just have never known anything different. And so, right. And see, right. although people are not, um, they're not benefiting the way they at least did in the past. They didn't. St it stopped with Bush. Bush started with that nonsense about uh, keeping the the people that were on reserve uh, and then sending them in. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they never benefited. Their families didn't benefit. Nobody benefited. But right, right. Scandalous. It is scandalous. <laughs> So I think they're in the process. They're deporting vets yep. back to Mexico that serve yes. directly. Yep. Like, yep. If, you, I don't know. if you serve in our military, you should be granted permanent citizenship. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, and those folks have always been used as a reserve army to come in and come out and put pressure on the wage rate. And, like, and they do. the tradition of having people giving immigration status to people that come and serve in the military is like, that's like normal. That's normal. That's... Like the French Foreign Legion have been doing that for 150 years. Exactly. Like, <laughs> like what? You know. Mommy, it's I, crack, please. Exactly. It's a no-brainer. You're doing do a great job. Here's the big question. What do you think is going to happen Monday? Okay. Now the fun part. Now the game's playing. Okay. Um, he has the answer for that. Actually, walk... Okay, so... I think there's a lot of confusion about caucuses. She just believe it or Yeah, yeah, So... Walk us through that, and also, my understanding is that anybody can participate in caucuses. You, you, um, you can register. You have to register as a Democrat, but you can do it at the door. Um, and uh, uh, but yeah, so say like, you know, there's you just got to bring an ID. You got to make sure that you're eligible. To, if you're eligible to vote in no, on November third, then you are eligible to caucus. Um, so like for in Iowa. So for example, if I was 17, I could still caucus if my birthday was my 18th birthday was before the right. So um, the uh, uh, the way it works. Caucus 101. Uh, you, you you go into a room. Um, you, usually it's like a it's like a gym, like a like a school gym, or like the one I'm going to is a union hall down here. Um, in the really rural counties where I grew up, there would be some areas in the sticks where it would literally be like a person's living room. Um, and you go in, you sign in, uh, you register, and then you go stand with a representative from the campaign, a precinct captain, which is yeah. So that's what I'm doing for Bernie. I'll have signs. Yeah, I'll have signs and all this this. Uh, other swag and stuff so people yep yep and yep and then and then uh doors close at seven we and then you know i'm herding my cats making sure they're all in the right place and uh uh and then they do a count 
and we, we do a count of all the people that are there, um, and then that gives you the, the baseline for how many delegates are going to be allocated, right, and, and how many percentages there are. So then, um, so then you have your delegations, and then there's the first alignment. What that means is if they determine alignment, say, okay, let's say, Okay. Everybody make your way around. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Go back to the way we Eligibility. Fifty. If you if a candidate doesn't have fifteen percent of whatever the total room is, they're ineligible, and there's a realignment. They have to move to another candidate. That is why I think Bernie's going to crush it because we have there's the possibility of there being Warren delegations that are unviable or Biden delegations that are unviable are pretty high in a lot of places. Yeah, they have to pick another candidate or go home. And so my job is to try to bring people in. After the volunteers and supporters had gathered, Nina Turner came out and gave a great "Hello, somebody" speech. Iowa! Hey, baby! We ready to do this thing? Are we ready to shock and awe the world? Our senator might be 78 years old, but baby, we about to make him 46. Come on, somebody! Come on, somebody! Hello, somebody! Hello, somebody! Oh, yeah, we gonna do all of this. All of this, Iowa. My, 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 my. I'm sure feeling the burn up in Iowa. Baby, they just don't know. Transcendence is coming. So I want all of you. Now, you got to make sure. Now, this is a turnout election. Now, we know we up in the polls. Hello, somebody. We up in the polls all over the country. Hello, somebody. They said we couldn't do it, but we did. Hello, somebody. Did y'all see them South Carolina polls? Hello, somebody. I'm just saying, we doing this, but Iowa, it all starts with you, baby. Nothing too big. Only all that we love is on the line, that's all. Nothing too big. So, Iowa, we need you to do this thing. Now, you got to show up with your family, your friends, and your frenemies. We taking all comers. You know, I'm a sister, and my mother was a preacher, and at the end of service, you know, the preacher says, come on, come on. We want all folks to come to this people-powered revolution. Our movement is a multi-gendered, multi-ethnic, racial, multi-racial mosaic of humanity, conscious-minded people on the move for justice. That is what we are. And so it is very fitting that we are assembled here today to submit for ourselves and for generations yet unborn the type of world that we want to live in. Hello, somebody. So for some folks among the elite class, when our movement talks about having Medicare for all, they say that that is radical. But if you are among the millions of people in this country who are either uninsured or underinsured, it's not radical, baby. It's right on time. If you come from the family that I met in New Hampshire, or excuse me, in Nevada, where they have to spend $1,600 a month to provide a, a particular medicine that their daughter needs, when Senator Sanders says that prescriptions will cost $200 a year, that ain't radical, baby. It's right on time. 
I just had an opportunity to talk to one of my mentees one day in the hospital. She broke her ankle one day in the hospital. $27,000 for that one stay. So Medicare for all, baby, is not radical. It's right on time. If you are a victim of the fossil fuel industry, hello, somebody. If you got to deal with factory farms, hello, Iowa. You got to deal with pig runoff, hello, somebody. If you got to deal with lead in your water, hello, Flint, Michigan. If you got to deal with dirty water all across this country, when Senator Bernard Sanders talks about infrastructure and talks about a Green New Deal, it is not radical, it's right on time. And baby, if you are a black man in America, can I pause and give a shout out for Black History Month? Hello, somebody. Can we just do that? If you are a black man in America, a black woman in America, overrepresented in the prison, when we talk about turning around a criminal injustice system that somehow sees black, brown, indigenous, and poor folks as somehow more criminal than anybody else, when Senator Sanders says that he's going to legalize marijuana, baby, that ain't radical. It's right on time. When he talks about expunging records, it's not radical. It's right on time. When he says no more private prisons on his watch, that ain't radical. It's right on time. Come on, somebody. People suffering in this nation. And we got folks who got the nerve to stand up there on stages and pretend like this is not happening. We don't need half measure, baby. We need somebody that's going to go all the way for the people of this nation. And his name is Bernard Sanders. Hello, somebody. So now we're not going to look left. We are not going to look right. We are going to keep our eyes on the prize. And the prize is what is just, what is right, and what is good. And what is good for the workaday people of this nation is not to have the corporate greed overtake this nation in such a way that your voices are silenced. When Senator Sanders says, Wall Street, baby, I'm coming for your greed. Fossil fuel industry, I'm coming for your greed. In the spirit of FDR, when he said, judge me by my enemies, the 21st century vernacular is judge me by my haters, and I'm listing them all on my website. The only candidate that has taken zero dollars from billionaires because his only special interest is you and you and you and you and you. Hello, somebody. We're not going to play with this thing. See, they ain't seen nothing like this in the 21st century, baby. It's called conscious-minded people on the move. And we are on the move for justice. So, Iowa, it's, it's on you, baby. Nothing too big. It's just all on you. Because all that we love is on the line. Man, we have not seen a tsunami of people power like this. And doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it feel grand? And there is happiness in this revolution because we are struggling together. We rise or fall together. We are all in this together. And whatever brings you to this space, just know that when history is written, you could have been laying on your couch eating bonbons and complaining. But when history is written, baby, all of you are a part of a history that says that we will come together.
together. We will have righteous indignation together. We will challenge a system together and we will rise together. Hello, somebody. So now Iowa, it's good that the family's getting together, but we got to get out there and drive out the vote. This is about turnout, turnout, turnout. And when we turn up, we turn out. So let me close with this. I'm feeling really good. I wish I had enough space to run. <laughs> no, this, this is what this movement has done for me, for the senator, for Dr. Jane Sanders, for everybody in our campaign, which is bringing people together to do a new thing. So number one, we... The creator of this great universe has given us two hands, one to reach forward and one to reach back, lifting as we climb. We are our sisters and our brothers' keepers. Number two, and most importantly, we can't ask other folks to do more for us than we are willing to do for ourselves. The revolutionary Helen Keller once said these words, Iowa, and I want you to let them marinate for a moment. Alone, we can do very little. Together, we can do so much. This is a together, people-powered movement. As First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt once said, it doesn't matter what they call you, it's what you answer to. So we answering to not me us. 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 Baby, that is what we are answering to. Is that all right? So we're going to do this thing. So now can y'all do something for Sister Turner? Can you raise one hand for yourself and one hand for somebody else? And with these hands, we will have Medicare for all. With these hands, we will have college for all. With these hands, we will cancel student debt. With these hands, we will take care of Mother Earth. With these hands, women will finally get their whole damn dollar. With these hands, we will change a legal system that is unjust in every stretch of the imagination. And with these hands, baby, we will elect Senator Bernard Sanders, the 46th president of the United States of America. Then Senator Sanders came out and made the really important point that in order for them to prevail in the caucus on Monday night, they would have to have a record turnout. When people come out to support Bernie, he wins. When they stay home, the establishment wins. Here's his speech. Thank you. And we even have people up on the snowbank. Whoa. Well, let me, let me thank all of you for coming out. Let me thank Senator Nina Turner. And I want you all to know that Senator Turner has not just been active here in Iowa. She's been all over this country rallying working people to stand up for justice. So, Senator Turner, thanks so much for all that you do. <laughs> Tomorrow begins the 2020 election in what amounts to the most consequential election, at least in the modern history of America, but maybe in the history of our entire country. 
And what's at stake is whether we will continue an administration where we have a president who lies all of the time, whether we continue an administration which has a record of corruption, whether we continue an administration with a president who is a racist, a sexist, a homophobe, a xenophobe, and on top of that, he's a religious bigot as well. That, no matter what your politics may be, and I know that not everybody in Iowa agrees with you know everything that I stand for, but no matter what your politics may be, I think we all understand that that is not the kind of person who should remain in the White House. So what tomorrow night is about is the understanding that we need a government that stands for justice, not greed. A government that stands for compassion, not pathological lying. So our campaign is about two fundamental issues. Number one is the need to defeat Donald Trump, the most dangerous president in the modern history of this country. But our campaign is about more than just defeating Trump. Our campaign is about bringing fundamental reform to American society. It is a campaign which says that if you work in America and in Iowa 40 hours a week, you should not be living in poverty. I have been all over the state of Iowa. And I have talked to workers who are trying to make it on 10, 11 bucks an hour. You can't make it on 10 or 11 bucks an hour. We together will raise the minimum wage to a living wage at least $15 an hour. I've talked to women who are tired of making 80 cents on the dollar compared to men. Women want the whole damn dollar equal pay for equal work. I have talked to workers who want to join unions so they can earn better wages and working conditions. Our administration will make it easier for workers to join unions. I have talked to young people who are sick and tired of leaving school fifty or a hundred thousand dollars in debt. And what we have said throughout this campaign is if Trump and his friends can give a trillion dollars in tax breaks to the top 1% and large profitable corporations such that a company like Amazon doesn't pay a nickel in federal income tax, if they can do that, we can cancel all student debt in America with a modest tax on Wall Street speculation. And what the people in Iowa and the people in America understand is that it is time for us to end the international embarrassment of America being the only major country on earth not to guarantee health care to all people as a human right. Health care is a human right, not a privilege. We will pass a Medicare for all single-payer program. We will take on the greed and the corruption of the pharmaceutical industry 
which charges our people in some cases ten times more for the same exact medicine as they charge people in other countries. And what our administration understands and what all of you understand, although the President of the United States does not understand it, is climate change is not a hoax. Climate change is an existential threat to Iowa, to Vermont, to America, and to the entire world. And what we believe is that the future of this planet, the future of our kids and future generations, is a lot more important than the short-term profits of the fossil fuel industry. So we are proud. We don't run away from it. We are proud to have introduced the most sweeping climate change proposal ever introduced by a candidate for President of the United States. And that proposal is based on the principles of the Green New Deal. We're going to create up to 20 million good-paying jobs as we move away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency and sustainable energy. And let me thank the people of Iowa. Iowa is one of the leaders in this country in wind energy. You're doing a great job. You got about a third of your electricity from wind. We're going to invest far more in wind and solar geothermal. We're going to move aggressively to sustainable energy and create jobs when we do that. Our campaign will, in fact, address the obscenity of massive levels of income and wealth inequality today. We've got to put it on the table. We don't run away from it. It is morally and economically unacceptable that three people in America own more wealth than the bottom half of America. It is wrong that 49% of all new income goes to the top 1%. The future of this country is dependent upon what happens in November, and it all begins tomorrow night here in Iowa. And what our belief is, is that the only way you defeat Donald Trump in November is when we have the largest voter turnout, the largest voter turnout in the history of the United States. And we believe that we are the campaign because of you. We are the campaign of excitement and of energy. And I want to tell you something that I am enormously proud of and grateful to all of you and people all over the state of Iowa. In the last month alone, in one month, our volunteers have knocked on 500,000 doors in a state of three and a half million people. So we believe that we are in a position to win tomorrow night, in a position to defeat Trump, not be just because of TV ads, we have TV ads, not radio ads, we have radio ads, not newspaper ads. What is more important is the grassroots activism that you guys are bringing forward. This is unique. They know of the campaign doing this, and it's not just happening. I want you all to know. It is not just happening here in Iowa. 
Today it is happening in New Hampshire. They're knocking on tens of thousands of doors. It is happening in California. So what this campaign in Iowa is about and what it is about nationally is voter turnout. It is reaching forth to our friends and neighbors who in many instances have given up on the political process. They're working two or three jobs and they're saying, does anybody care about me? They can't afford childcare for their kids. They're 55, 60 years of age. They don't have a dime in the bank as they face retirement. They don't have any health care. And what we are saying to those people, if you want to change this country, if we want to improve lives for working people, you must get involved in the political process. We cannot just allow big money interests to dominate what goes on. So let me conclude by saying what I have said before. Tomorrow night, we will know very early on how well we're going to do. If there is a low voter turnout, we're going to lose. If there is a high voter turnout, we're going to win. So our job, and I know you're doing that today, our job is to bring out our family, our friends, our co-workers, bring out everybody you know, and basically the message is that we cannot simply complain about the status quo. We can't complain about Trump. We can't complain about low wages. We can't complain about education. Can't complain about climate change or the high cost of prescription drugs. Now is the time to end the complaining. Now is the time for action. Action is tomorrow night. So let us go forward today, tomorrow, and create the largest voter turnout in the history of the Iowa caucus. And when we do that, we're going to win. And we win here. We have a path toward victory. And together, we will defeat the most dangerous president in modern American history. Thank you all so much. I initially spoke with a couple of ex-Cory Booker uh, staffers who had come by because they hadn't decided yet who they were going to support in the caucus. They had this to say. We are here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, we're going to talk to some folks that are just here. We have the seniors that we just have Nina Turner and Bernie Sanders. Um, you guys, you're from California originally, but you go to school here. You're also from California? St. Louis. Are you going to be caucusing on Monday night for Bernie Sanders? Yeah, I'm decided right now. Yeah, we used to work for the Cory Booker campaign. And so we are making the final decisions today. Yesterday we went to a foreign event. Today the Sanders event is what we have to do for us. But we will be caucusing tomorrow. Okay, so you guys don't know. So what did Nina Turner say to you today that way you would be a party person versus a uh, well, she's passionate as always. You know, uh, we we both really respect you as well as Ayanna Presley, who is speaking for Warren. There, we 
are both people of color, we're both students of color, so their voice uh, matters a lot to us when we're talking about white candidates. Um, bringing those issues to the forefront is the most important thing for us. Yeah, no, and I don't disagree with that. Let me ask you a question though. Do you sort of feel sometimes that identity policy doesn't match? policy that actually helps people of color? Like, sometimes I feel like white candidates can say, I'm this, I'm not the other, but they don't, if you look at the record, it's not entirely consistent. Yeah, that's, that's certainly true, and we feel that way about some other candidates who uh, have large black I'm going to go with Biden <laughs> and, then you, and, then you hear, right, and then you hear him say things like, um, like, I'm not even sure if a weed should be legalized. I'm not sure if we should decriminalize marijuana. And we see that that predominantly can be just as bright and as talented as white students. Right. Comments like that are, are big Look, trigger Biden's warnings a racist. For us. I don't even know why this is even up for discussion. I'm just going to say that right now. Um, one thing I miss about Cory Booker's candidacy is a very funny guy. Did you ever get to meet him? Or? Yeah, yeah, we met him a few times. times. Yeah. Okay. His dad jokes really lightened up the campaign trail, I feel like. <laughs> so, and his Rosario Dawson, his girlfriend, is a big Bernie supporter. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And we have also met Rosario Dawson. And she's pretty awesome. Yeah, she's, she's super kind. I think she reflects Cory Booker in a very positive light, as well as Bernie Sanders. Um, I think, I think she's been a really solid left-leaning cool uh, influence on him because he used to be a little bit more corporate than he is now. I think I've seen a shift in his, is the way he perceives things. Do you think that's right or no? Um, Cory Booker? Yeah. I think yes and no. Uh, if you go back and watch like Street Fight, his documentary, I think it was like up for an Oscar back in the early 2000s, um, you see that he fights for policies for social justice and criminal justice reform. Um, but Rosario Dawson, I think, kind of brought him a little bit more out of the, the limelight of Congress and more yeah. into the limelight of the people. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's fair. I think that's a, a very good point to, to notice. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, so now let's talk about Elizabeth Warren for a second. Do you find any of her, any of her policies to not be particularly friendly for the people of color? And how, well, let me be frank, yeah. how do you feel about her registering as a white person at the University of Texas, then turning around and saying that she was Native American many years later? And, right. and clearly, I think this was clearly done to benefit her, it was a career move. I, I don't, I mean, I don't know yeah. if I'm being cynical here, but that's how it seems to me. Do you, what do you think on that? I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, if I could just speak from a little bit of personal experience, um, my family. Yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry. We're just taking these tables in now. Okay, I'll that. Um, my family is part Native American, but yeah, it, it's a small percentage because, and we actually don't know how much of my family members were Native American or at what percentage because. When you're Native American back in the day, you had to get rid of records so the government wouldn't come after you. So we've lost a lot of those records in my family history. So I, I tend to avoid saying that I'm Native American for those purposes. Um, I don't, I didn't experience the Native American experience. You know, indigenous people are arguably the most discriminated against the, it, it's, it's hard to even put into words when they're living in poverty. Um, they don't have fair healthcare care right. reservations. I don't think that's a controversial statement. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, indigenous women are the number one most like number one uh, demographic that has like unreported rape cases and um, 
murder, unsolved murder cases, all of that. It, it, yeah. So it was very offensive. Um, I think she's done all that she can to kind of take that comment back, those comments back. Um, but but it's, it's a little hard to let go. I, I will admit, it's a little hard to brush past. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. You shouldn't have to let it go. I mean, I mean, this is like, so I'm speaking as a point person. I'm Jewish too, so I, I have a little bit of understanding, but I can't ask you this I think that that's another form of colonization in a way, isn't it? Because this is somebody that's definitely That's true, you know, and we're looking at a slate of candidates right now that no, just, speak I'm, definitely I'm from Frank and I'm curious about your position. Right. So what events are you guys going to today? Um... I think, I think this is it for us today. Oh. We're going to do um, some final research, a little bit more on specific policies. Um, I'm studying political science and social injustice, uh, uh, criminal, social and criminal justice, so those issues are the most important to me, so I'm going to look up a little bit more of uh, the specific policies, especially when it comes to decriminalization, uh, voter restoration for criminals, um, with nonviolent offenses, all of that stuff. So. so do you, okay, so I'm only going to ask you this because you're studying political science. I think this is a very important distinction. Do you see a big difference between decriminalization and legalization? Does, I, that, does that make sense when I'm talking about the yeah, here? I think that they have to go hand in hand. Uh, when you look at a state like California and we see predominantly white people profiting off of the marijuana industry, I mean they're making millions of dollars off of things that people are serving 20, 30 life for in prison and those people are predominantly black and brown people. Um, I think it has to be a part of the conversation. I don't think that you can have one without the other. Um, and well, I guess it's because there are some people that want to separate those two That's true. It's, that's and I true. think we should fight for full legalization and I think anybody that's been arrested under these ridiculous charges should be released from prison and the story. I don't yeah. think there's a conversation that should be had here. I think that's it. Yeah. Now, of course, that is, seems like a radical idea to a lot of people. I, I think it does at the forefront. You tell people uh, we want to decriminalize marijuana and they automatically think, oh, criminals are going to get out of jail. But when you really look at it, like, and then they're going to be flooding the streets. But that's not the reality of it. No, that's not the reality no, of it. We're talking about... That's what I'm saying. That's yeah, I completely agree. Let me ask you this other thing then. Um, I also think strongly that what Marie Sanders says that that's absolutely fundamentally true. This is a democracy still. There are a lot of people that are in jail for things they didn't commit. We have poor folks that couldn't post bail, so they've just been sitting there waiting don't have a right to vote. This is fundamentally jacked up. 100%. And uh, I was actually listening to an NPR Code Switch podcast, and uh, they were talking about the prison gerrymandering system and everything. And if you talk to representatives, they don't visit the prisons, and yet they are a key portion of their, di of their district population. Um, and a lot of these prisoners don't even feel like they're a part of the community. Well, but they're not. I mean, exactly. if anything, they should be counted to their wherever their home is. Like, if where anything. they actually... Yeah, and they should be able to vote. I mean, I a lot of these people that we're talking about, not violent offenses, they, they're just normal people who got caught at the wrong time. Everyone commits illegal acts every oh, single yeah. day. That's that's a proven fact. <laughs> right. I mean, um... Yeah, so, um... In regards to prison gerrymandering, um, 
when Angel was kind of telling me about that, it reminded me of learning about how, so I'm African American studies major with a history minor, and so um, when thinking about that and thinking of early America and uh, early constitution and the differences between uh, northern states and southern states wanting with representation is uh, counting slaves as representation and like the three-fifths compromise. Yeah, yeah so um, when you have those prisoners that are being counted um, for representation and things like that, but they don't have a voice, it honestly reminds me of three-fifths compromise and things like but, that. But that is what it is. It's just a different form of slavery. I mean, look, involuntary servitude is another form this takes. There are private prisons that are handing out contracts to companies like Victoria's Secret. They're paying the prison label like a Michael Bloomberg. Yep. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Are you kidding me with this? Prison labor? Are you serious? Yeah, yeah I'm, still, I'm still not over this, honestly. I'm still me, like neither. me neither. But this is what's been going on in the United States, and I'm glad that this stuff is starting to kind of float out to the general public. Because I think a lot of Americans are completely clueless about some of this stuff. I think when they hear it, they get repulsed. They're like, what? That's not right. Because it's, it's, it's fundamentally moral on a certain level, right? Yeah. So, this is do or die, right? Do yeah. you feel that way? I mean, you're both yeah. millennials, right? Or wait, Gen, Gen Z. Z. Yeah. Yeah. You're so young, you're right. <laughs> I know, we're babies. She turns 20 tomorrow. Yeah, on caucus day. Best caucus present ever. So, Thank what you. are your names again? So, we have your names. Uh, Angelina Ramirez. And Harold Wolewa. All right, excellent. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, of course. The next day in Des Moines, Bernie Sanders hosted a Super Bowl viewing party at a local brewery pub called Ingersoll Taps. We attended that, and we were able to speak to some of the attendees, including many surrogates um, and volunteers for the campaign. The audio was a little funky because it was a loud bar, but here are some of the folks that we talked to. Let's start with uh, Casey... Casey Carpenter, who wrote the book My Journey with Bernie. States came to Iowa. This weekend has been incredible. There's at least 3,000 uh, volunteers from the out of state program. Uh, the, the, I, the surrogates are just incredible. I mean, the energy for Bernie, there's just no comparison. We've knocked every single door, we've been phone calling. And the good thing is, it was snowy, but it's been warm. It's like beautiful weather. It's been very warm. So, have you been camping? Yeah, yeah, so we've been in Des Moines. and uh, would you gauge the support for It's really strong, and I think what's really important is that, uh, you know, there's so many different candidates in the race. I was very open caucus, so we're trying to get as many people to come in, whether they're 100% Bernie or they're still figuring it out. And that's what makes Iowa so special, is that Iowa has a chance to basically make an important message about who they want to be the president. So I've been talking to people that, you know, the first conversation might be, well, you know, I'm not really sure. And then we're getting people to understand why there's a moment right now where we have a movement. And so we're really getting a lot of convergence. And not only do we have a base, but I feel very optimistic we're going to do very well. question. I mean, I'm finding that every single uh, opportunity to talk to people, whether it's the gas station, you know, driving through, you know, fast food, I'm just asking people if they have an opportunity to caucus, because it's such a small turnout, and so... Why is that? It's like 17% generally, right? Yeah, and part of it is, is that, you know, working families have to work. They have jobs, they got to take care of babysitting, so we've been really emphasizing it, like, look, we can help you, you know, you can bring your kids, 
Do you know someone who could represent you? So the turnout is how we win, not only in Iowa, that's how we beat Trump. And Bernie, I call Bernie Math. Bernie gets the four um, groups. He gets the Bernie Strong, number one. He's going to get the Democrats this time, number two. Bernie gets more independents. In fact, a lot of the folks who didn't vote in 2016 would have voted for Bernie. And even the crazy thing is, a lot, I talked to a lot of folks in Iowa who voted for Trump that would actually vote for Bernie. So one, two, three, four, there's no other candidate can do that. Yeah, you actually got to see Iowa Absolutely. I mean, this is this is Iowa. People, you know, it's, it's a beautiful place. If you haven't had a chance to visit Iowa, working families, um, and a lot of folks are more likely to be, uh, you know, really identifying with, I think, this working class movement and really understanding that it might be a little bit more conservative. I like to say I'm a conservative progressive, right? Right, right, right. Yes. Absolutely. It's, it's a false choice to say it's right or left. I think the people are people. When you talk to people about their situation and you're related to the issues, the issues for them, healthcare, you know, education. You know, everyone has family that's affected. And so I think Bernie's movement is so much more appealing to a bigger uh, base than any other candidate. Well, is there the most diverse base? Oh, there's no question. Uh, you know, and the fact of the matter is it's even got more diverse. More women, we're running and supporting candidates, more, more women of color, um, really younger people are getting involved in the movement. And when I talk to people that might be thinking about, well, this is, I'm a little bit afraid, I have a fear. I say, well, maybe your greatest fear is not getting behind the one person that's going to really build a movement. Right, fear is actually the enemy for us right now in this moment. Do you trust the DNC? Oh no, no, no! I don't trust the DNC. Why would I trust the DNC? I, I, I only trust the people. Right? We have to, we have to regain democracy. And the way you do that is one person at a time, one vote at a time. You can't let some special interest group, whether it's a corporation, a DNC, a political party, tell us what to do. We need to get democracy to happen with working people across. All, demogra all demographics, all generations, and let's actually bring back the power of the people. And, you know, if the Democratic Party becomes the party of the working people, then fine. But, you know, I demitted in 20, um, 2017 in California, and I learned that, you know, that the power is not going to give up their power unless the people come in and take it. I don't disagree with that. So what do you think of that whole that came out two days ago that has a group of DNC members that want to overturn? Yeah, so I don't. Yeah, I don't trust the DNC. And in 2016, we begged the super delegates. We showed them maps of Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. We said, this is what's going to happen. Uh, this last year, I went to the DNC in California, and we protested for them to have a climate debate. So the DNC is owned by the power. So I don't trust the DNC, but I'm not worried about, um, you know, the, the, the first round, we're going to win it by getting as many people to vote for Bernie in Iowa and California. And then we're going to take the move up, we're going to take those states. We're not going to wait for Wisconsin. 
We're not going to wait for July. We're going to put pressure on the superdelegates right here, right now. They're going to have a choice. It's like, whose side are you on? Are you on the side of the youth and the climate? Are you on the side of people suffering because they're going they have to face a false choice of bankruptcy or health care? Whose side are you on? DNC, whose side are you on? And if you are an elected official in one of those states, get ready for the movement. We're coming for you. Then we spoke with Stacy Walker, who is a Iowan Board of Supervisor, and Bernie Sanders' surrogate. He had this to say. Well, it's easy. Senator Sanders is the most progressive candidate in the race. He has policies that are going to help the most uh, people, and he's the strongest candidate we can put against Donald Trump, who is the most dangerous president in modern American history. You just said it. Senator Sanders has uh, built one of the most diverse coalitions of supporters in American presidential history. And not only that, the polls are telling us that he's the strongest candidate to go against Trump. And uh, Bernie Sanders wins in the states that we have to win, the swing states. He is, he is competitive in the states and the heartland. Look, I'm from Iowa. Here, this is ground zero. And it is obvious to all people looking at what the campaign is doing here in Iowa that Senator Sanders is building the one coalition that can defeat Donald Trump uh, in the general election. Congressman Ro Khanna came out and gave a volunteer pep talk and introduction in which he referenced the uh, trials and tribulations of Colin Kaepernick since we were talking football. Here's his speech. despite the fact that the 49ers had to get through the Packers to get to the Super Bowl. He is an amazing leader in Congress. How many folks here are going to be rooting for the 49ers? How many for the, for the Packers? Let me, let me just say, we're all united in wanting to elect Bernie Sanders president. Now who says Sanders supporters can't be united? We're, we're united. Now, there's one person that we all should be rooting for, Raheem Mostert. You know his story is the running back for the 49ers. And he was cut from six teams in the NFL. Guess what happened? The front offices at the NFL, they didn't believe in him. They underestimated him. They wrote him off. Sound familiar? Yeah. Sound familiar? Well, the establishment underestimates our man Bernie Sanders, he surges. And the reason Bernie Sanders is surging is he's fighting for a righteous America. And that message is resonating across this country. When Bernie Sanders is president, we're not going to have unconstitutional wars overseas. When Bernie Sanders is president, we're not going to spend $1.8 trillion as a world on military budgets, and we'll use some of those resources to tackle climate change and solve the world's problems. When Bernie Sanders is president, we're not going to have people who have to pay 
dollars in deductibles, five hundred dollars every month just for basic health care. You know, you know all the folks I who I'm talking about. We're going to make sure health care is finally a human right, and everyone has single payer. school lunch. 
I got to live in a neighborhood that was safe. I got to go to a college and pursue my dreams. And here's the thing that Bernie Sanders wants to know. If this country could do that for the son of an immigrant, why can't this country do that for every single American? His message is very simple. He wants every American to have a chance at the American dream. As a receptionist at Double Street Hotel, she was, I was leaving, and she said, bro, bro, I know who you are. Wait. I said, what do you want to say? She said, I'm with your guy. I'm with Bernie. She said, I said, why are you with Bernie? And she said, he's for the people, not for the moneyed interest. He's for the people. And I asked her, I said, are you going to caucus tomorrow night? She says, I don't know, because I've got a work shift. I work from 3 to 11. And that is our challenge. If we get people out, the working folks out, if we get the young people out, the people with young kids out, we will win overwhelmingly in Iowa. We will win in Iowa. But it's all of you who need to help us get people to the caucuses. Tell them this sacrifice is worth it. The few hours are worth it so we can start to change our country, start to take our country back from the special interests that have caused so much damage in wars and environmental degradation. How are we doing? We're still, we're still waiting. We're still waiting.
than my home state of California. to make America all that it can be and should be, our next President of the United States, Bernie Sanders. I also spoke with local David Murphy, who was planning to caucus for Bernie Sanders the following night. He had this to say about what he thought was going to happen at the caucus. I am. My name is David Murphy. I am. Um, honestly, I'm a single issue, issue voter. Uh, I don't want people to die. And Bernie Sanders is the one who wants to prevent that as much as anyone else. And so that means health care for all. That means abolishing the uh, uh, prison industrial system. That means no endless wars. That means uh, police reform. That means anything that's harming our country. And there's only one candidate that is steadfast to that goal, and that's Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, honestly, in 2016, I went back and forth between uh, both uh, um, Senator Sanders and Secretary Clinton um, because I got caught up in the electability issue at all. Um, I knew Sanders matched my ideals a little bit better, but I worried about him being elected, and I felt like Hillary Clinton was a better chance of getting the presidency. Um, so after it was all decided and she was a Democratic nominee, I volunteered, I campaigned, I uh, door knocked, I made phone calls, and then she lost. <laughs> so now got that electability idea, right? Right. But I think a lot of people actually didn't believe that. I, I actually didn't because to me it was obvious that the United States wasn't going to in, in, in hindsight, honestly, um, I realize now that um, there's a lot of people hurting, and they're struggling, and they're sad, and they're angry, and they're upset, and they they want to lash out, and they want to they want to have either a scapegoat or a savior, and uh, for some, that's what led them to Donald Trump because he's both. But I think there are others that look at what happened and said, we need to change the system. And there's one person that wants to change the system, and that's Bernie Sanders. Yeah. So, now, what is going to happen tomorrow night? What's going to happen tomorrow night? Um, I guess it's tough for me to, to say. I maybe run in um, a middle class kind of a contingent. So, most of my friends are split about 50-50 between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Um, I have seen a lot of people in my, my social media feed that like Pete and like Joe Biden. But, um, what's funny is, I don't think any of those people have ever been political until now. Um, they hate Trump, but they're not ready to be confrontational. I think it's maybe it. 
So, like, they hate Trump, but they don't want to hate their friends and their family that are Trump supporters. So if they can find a middle way to still hate Trump, but say, like, no, we're not going to do this to you, and, like, no, we're, we're taking your taxes, and, we're, and we're, we're, we're applying it to college, and we're taking your taxes, and we're going to make sure people don't die. Sorry, Uncle Brandy. <laughs> But that's what's happening. And so I think there are people that just maybe aren't ready to take that next step towards telling their Uncle Randy to fuck off. Anyway, I have an Uncle Randy and I love you. <laughs> so have you been able to convince any of your family members to stay with Um, Honestly, I don't know. Uh, maybe. We've had very good discussions. I've talked to a lot of people off kind of the centrist ledge. But I don't know if we've gone all the way towards a Bernie caucus. I guess we'll see how it plays out. If uh, they end up non-viable, I, I think so. I think that I made a lot of people think their second choice and their third choice. But we'll see. Then Nina Turner came out and gave another exuberant speech, and she mentioned that it was Black History Month, and the cl- the crowd went wild. Unjust legal system. Y'all know this, right? Can I get them? Now, we know it's 365 days of the year, but February is the month that we recognize Black History Month. With these hands, we will have transcendence. And with these hands, we will elect Senator Bernie Sanders. When Bernie Sanders pulled up in front in his Not Me Us bus, the crowd started chanting wildly. Thank you. Here's his speech. My son Dave is here. We got three more back east. And we got four more grandchildren back east. Five more? We have another one? I didn't know that. <laughs> Seven minus two is five. Is that it? Math is not my strongest. Um, we're going to be on a plane we're going back uh, to D.C. Uh, to be part of the uh, final remarks in the impeachment trial, and we'll be back here tomorrow. Uh, and I just wanted to take this opportunity. Uh, to very sincerely thank the people of Iowa for your hospitality and for the seriousness in which the people of this state accept their responsibility as the first people who will be voting in the 2020 election. We have done, we have done well over a hundred events. We have spoken to tens of thousands of people and I really have been impressed about how serious the people of this state are examining the issues and listening to the candidates. And I thank you all very much for that. Uh, I don't have to tell anybody in this room 
that the 2020 election is the most consequential election, certainly in the modern history in America, and quite possibly in the history of America. I'm not a historian, but that may be the case. And to my mind, this election is about two fundamental issues. First, it is absolutely imperative for the future of this country that we defeat the most dangerous president in our We don't need a president who thrives on divisiveness, thrives on trying to divide us up. And my promise to you that as president, our administration will bring our people together. Bring our people together, black and white and Latino, Native American, Asian American, gay or straight. We're going to bring our people together around an agenda that works for all of us, not just the 1%. And what that agenda says is that in the United States of America, health care is a human right, not a privilege. What that agenda says is that if you work 40 hours a week, you shouldn't live in poverty because we're going to raise that minimum wage to a living wage 15 bucks. What that agenda says is that in the richest country in the history of the world, all of our people who have the ability and the desire should be able to get a higher education regardless of the request. And what that agenda says is that unlike Donald Trump, we know that climate change is not a hoax. It is an incredibly dangerous reality for our country and the world. And we are prepared to take on the fossil fuel industry and transform our energy system away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency and sustainable energy. So tomorrow night is the beginning. It is the beginning of the end for Donald Trump. the beginning of the moment when we tell the billionaire class and the one percent this country belongs to all of us not just a few so i am here this evening with jane and grandkids and my son to ask of you that tomorrow night please do your best not only to come out the caucus bring your friends Bring your distant cousins. Bring those people you haven't talked to in years, you know. And get them out to the caucus. Because here is the simple political truth. And I say this all over the state, and I believe it to be true. If the turnout tomorrow night is low, we're going to lose. If the turnout is high, we're going to win. So our job together is to create the highest turnout in the history of the Iowa caucus.
Next up, it was caucus day. So that day, we picked a caucus to attend, and we picked Precinct 80 that was in the Polk County area of Des Moines, Iowa. We stayed there for the duration, and I had the opportunity to speak with the precinct captain. Here's our interview. Okay, so we are here inside one of the caucuses in Des Moines, Iowa, and we're speaking with the precinct captain for Bernie Sanders. What is your name? Nolan Raymond. And why did you decide to volunteer and be a precinct captain? Because I feel it's the least I could do. Everything he wants to do for me, pay it forward. And you're a longtime supporter of Bernie Sanders? Yeah, ever since I learned about him in 2015. Okay, so did you caucus for him in 2016? I did. And which, were you at one of those crazy caucuses where things got to coin tosses and what happened? It wasn't a coin toss, but it was a little chaotic. It was chaotic? It was a good time, though. Do you think it's going to be chaotic tonight? I don't really think so. I think a lot of people have, are more decided on what they want. I mean, there's a lot of other options, but I think everybody's open to talk about it because we know we need a change and we know we need somebody in there. So that's what we're here for right now. So 15%. Mm-hmm. Applies, right? So after you, everybody gets to their corners and we decide the, the folks that are no longer going to be viable, what happens next? What happens next is we go and talk to them. We try to see what issues relate to them and see if we can get them on Bernie's side. I mean, most of these candidates, their talking points are something Bernie already supports or came up with. So it's going to be easy to get with these people and show them maybe what we understand. Right, else. right. So there's a long line of people coming in. I, I saw Bernie Sanders uh, at his rally up in Cedar Rapids last week. One of the things that he said was that if people don't turn out, he's not going to win. When people do turn out, he thinks he's going to win. Would you agree with that? Most definitely. It's a, it's a number number game. I mean, game. yeah, definitely. So he's obviously bringing in, he's bringing in voters that don't generally participate then, if that's the case. Well, it is, yes, I... But it's from all demographics. I mean, sure, he has a lot of the young vote, too, but, I mean, I, I don't mean any creed, color, anything. It could be a very supporter. Yeah, I mean, he's very diverse-based. Yeah, definitely. All right, so. well, we're going to look forward to watching you guys caucus tonight. Right, Thanks thank for you. talking with us. Thank you. I also spoke with this Bernie Sanders supporter who was sitting there waiting to caucus. Yes, that's what it is. So you're over here. We're at the caucus. You're over here in the Bernie pen already, ready to right. go with your caucus. Right. Why do you support Bernie Sanders? Well, I supported him last time. I supported him last time, and I uh, saw the Democrats throw him under the bus and watching them do it again. Yeah. So I'm a little, you know, it's Bernie or bust for okay. me. Bernie or bust. And do you trust the system at this point? Not Are you really, worried? because this was kind of a scattered thing re- <clears throat> done yeah, around. Yeah, switched the uh, locations like, right. multiple times in right. a couple days. Right. I was confused. I'm yeah. like, wait. There was, just... there was a lot of people at Wright Elementary. Right. Why are they doing that? I don't Do know. It sounds like a conspiracy. <laughs> well, maybe it's not. I mean, look, the DNC does what it does. I've been yeah. covering the DC DNC a long time, so they do. Yeah, they do well, it's things. really a drag that they have to make it so complicated when this should be an easy process. It should be an easy process. Yes. So who do you think? Do you think Bernie will prevail tonight? This is your neighborhood. Yes. So yes, I okay. do. Yes, I do. Well, thank you for coming out and caucusing for Bernie. Then. I'll be counting myself to double check. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. 
the start of the caucus, things seemed to go smoothly. There didn't seem to be any issues. The convener, Tabitha, gave out the rules. Um, she set up everything. And it seemed like everybody was going to have their fair say and that it was going to be a just and normal caucus. During the duration of the caucus, I did have a chance to speak with various voters. For example, when you first start to caucus, everybody lines up in their corner. And then if you are not a viable candidate, everybody that's in the unviable candidates areas can realign and go to a new candidate. So Warren, for example, was not viable at the beginning of the caucus. So all of her supporters had to realign. Andrew Yang was not viable at the beginning of the caucus. So most of the Yang supporters actually went to the Bernie camp, minus one who went to see Pete. Um, And then most of the Warren supporters, supporters did go to Bernie, but three or four of them also went to Pete. So it was interesting to see that how some of these folks that had been originally with more progressive candidates or more non-establishment candidates ended up with Mayor Pete. You are going to get into your preference groups. So this is the first alignment into preference groups. So precinct captains for your candidates, this is your time to round up your people. After the second alignment, and it turned out that that was going to be the final alignment, that is when they decided to start doing the delegate math to figure out how many delegates each person got. So at this time, Bernie Sanders had 47% of the total vote in the room. He had 101 people in his camp. Mayor Pete was number two with 66 people, and Biden was number three, and I can't recall what uh, his number was off the top of my head. So... The major uh, division was going to be between Bernie and Mayor Pete. Now, I waited till the tail end of this caucus, and I was actually broadcasting from it. And when I left, when I packed up my gear to go, it had turned out that it was obvious that Bernie was going to get five delegates and Pete was going to get three. So I left the caucus. I went to the Bernie Sanders Sanders party, and sometime after about being there for about half an hour, somebody let me know that there was a post on Twitter in which somebody had videotaped inside that caucus after I left a coin toss. And I couldn't understand why there would be a coin toss because coin tosses are supposed to be used only if there's a tie. And clearly, if it's 101 to 66, there's no tie. So I went ahead and uh, contacted the poster. It turned out it was one of the caucus goers that I had spoken to earlier in the evening. His name was Jalen. 
and he told me that she decided to do a coin toss not because she was looking at the number of voters that were aligned with each candidate but because she was looking at the number of delegates and at that point she thought that they were tied uh, with their delegate number and so she decided to do a coin toss but that's not what the Iowa, Iowa caucus rules are that last delegate is supposed to go to the person with the higher number of voters that lined up for them so um, I went ahead and let um, some of the folks from the campaign know at, at the party. I gave them a copy of my Periscope. I gave them, I showed them the post, and turns out that they were able to get that delegate back. But in all, um, in all honesty, I'm not sure that she did this for a nefarious reason. I think that she just didn't know what the um, rules were. And I think maybe Iowa, the Iowa Democratic Party needs to do a little bit better with training their volunteers that are running these caucuses because clearly this wasn't the only problem. I do think in some other instances there was nefarious stuff going on. And, um, you know, here's the thing. Whenever whenever people don't trust the system, it's a problem because we rely on trusting the system for making our democracy whole. And if shenanigans happen and if the party structures, the power party structures, put their thumb on the scale, voters lose interest in participating. They feel like their vote doesn't matter, so they stay home. This is how we lose elections. So I'm hoping going forward that the DNC and every state party is clear on that and tries their best not to engage in any sort of shenanigans. I will leave you with Bernie Sanders' press conference on the Iowa results. In Manchester, New Hampshire today, holding a press conference that should have occurred three nights ago in Des Moines, Iowa, but for the inability of the Iowa Democratic Party to count votes in a timely fashion. That screw-up has been extremely unfair to the people of Iowa. It has been unfair to the candidates, all of the candidates, and all of their supporters. So what I want to do today, three days late, is to thank the people of Iowa for the very strong victory they gave us at the Iowa caucuses on Monday night. Even though the vote tabulations have been extremely slow, we are now at a point with some 97% of the precincts reporting where our campaign is winning the popular initial vote by some 6,000 votes. In other words, some 6,000 more Iowans came out on caucus night to support our candidacy than the candidacy of anyone else. And when 6,000 more people come out for you in an election uh, than your nearest opponent, uh, we here in northern New England call that a victory. Uh, further, in Iowa, as you all know, there is a realignment process uh, where people who supported a candidate with less than 15% in the room can cast a vote in a second round for a different candidate. That's that realignment process. In that process, we are now ahead by over 2,500 votes. In a election with voter turnout of approximately 180,000 people,
and with eight strong candidates competing, a victory margin of some 6,000 votes is pretty decisive. And the reason that happened is because of the unprecedented grassroots effort of our volunteers. Thousands of volunteers in Iowa knocked on hundreds of thousands of doors. They did that in the snow, they did that in the rain, and they did that in freezing temperature. And I just want to take this opportunity to thank all of those volunteers for the extraordinary effort that they made, which made our victory possible. Now, as everyone knows, the Iowa process is enormously complicated. In my view, it is far too complicated. And one word, if I might, about the so-called state delegate equivalents, SDEs, that the cable news and political pundits have spent so much time pontificating about. Because of changes to Democratic Party rules that were widely supported during the Democratic Unity Reform Commission, these state delegate equivalents have greatly diminished importance from past caucuses, and they should. In the past, a candidate with more delegates to the state and county conventions could actually change the number of national delegates, delegates who go to the national convention from that allocated on caucus night. That is no longer the case. As it stands right now, to the best of my knowledge, uh, either I or Mr. Buttigieg will end with a tiny fraction of an advantage in the SDEs. I think he's ahead now by some three and a half state delegates out of 2,150 uh, total number of delegates. That may change. We may go in the lead by a little bit. Given the remaining precincts outstanding and mathematical errors, which we are discovering in the data, we could well end up with more SDEs. But this difference, no matter who inches ahead in the end, is meaningless because we are both likely to receive the same number of national delegates to the Democratic National Convention in Milwaukee. I think right now it is about 11 each, probably go up a bit. Those national delegates, not the state delegates, are the ones that really matter in the nominating process. And now that Iowa is hopefully finally behind us, let me take this opportunity uh, to thank the thousands of volunteers here in New Hampshire who are out today on the streets in rain and snow, uh, knocking on doors, making the phone calls that have to be made using social media in order to help us win here in Iowa. Last point that I want to make is I have been asked over and over again why I believe that we are the campaign to defeat Donald Trump. And let me tell you why that is the case. At the end of the day, in order to defeat Donald Trump, who will be a very formidable opponent, we are going to need an unprecedented grassroots movement of folks who are prepared to knock on doors and do all of the things that our supporters did in Iowa, and they're doing right here in New Hampshire, and they're doing right now in California, and in Nevada and South Carolina, and all across this country. 
Our campaign is, I believe, the campaign that is putting together a multi-generational, multi-racial process in which we are bringing people together around an agenda that is speaking to the working families of this country. We're not out raising huge sums of money for millionaires and billionaires. We have an agenda that is going to take on the millionaires and the billionaires. We have an agenda which is going to deal with income and wealth inequality. We have an agenda which is going to raise wages for the working families of this country. An agenda which says, finally, after 100 years of talk, now is the time to do what every other major country on earth is doing, and that is to guarantee health care to all people as a human right. So I think we have the grassroots movement that wins. We have the agenda that wins. I'm confident that we're going to do really well here in New Hampshire, having won Iowa. We're going to do very well in Nevada. I think we're going to do a lot better than people think in South Carolina. I think we've got a good shot to win California. And bottom line, I believe that we are well positioned to win the Democratic nomination and to defeat the most dangerous president in the modern history of this country. Uh, thank you all very much. Senator Sanders, Senator Sanders, Mayor Sanders. All right, yeah, CBS, what's up with CBS? Then we'll go on. So, Senator Tom Perez is calling for essentially a recount in this process. Is that something that you would support? And do you trust that the people running the party in Iowa are, are effective in doing their jobs? I think all I can say is what I just said, is we won an eight-person election by some 6,000 votes. That is not going to be changed. What may be changed in this so-called recount is a few SDEs here. But at the end of the day, as I've just indicated, these SDEs are not about What these SDEs will do is go to a convention in Iowa. They will determine who the Iowa chairman is. They will determine the rules of the Iowa Democratic Party. Very important, I guess, for Iowa Democrats, but not important for the rest of the country. At the end of the day, what will, I expect, almost definitely happen is that Mr. Buttigieg and I will end up with the same amount of delegates, 11 now each, probably a little bit more. That's what will happen. It ain't going to change. And what certainly is not going to change is the fact that in terms of the popular vote, we want a decisive victory. So you... Gary, hold it. What, what, I'm sorry. Yeah, Gary. So, Senator, there's been a lot of accounting issues and a lot of issues with the Iowa Democratic Party. How should people respond to this? Should they trust the Iowa Democratic Party here? I think what you should trust are two things. Number one, and, and I really do feel bad for the people of Iowa because I've been all over the state, as you well know. We have held... I think 120 rallies and town meetings. And these are serious people who are trying to do the best they can in determining who the best candidate for president is. And I think what has happened with the Iowa Democratic Party is an outrage that they were that unprepared that they put forth such a complicated process, relied on untested technology. And also, to be honest with you, they have relied on thousands of volunteers, good people, who get, have to get up and go to work the next day, all right, to do what is enormously complicated. And I think there is very little doubt uh, that what happened on Monday night, uh, that type of process, that complicated process, that is never, ever, uh, I don't think, going to happen again. Yeah. Senator Sanders. 
Mayor Pete's been declaring a win for days now. Why should people believe your victory speech over his? Because I got 6,000 more votes. And from where I come, when you get 6,000 more votes, that's generally regarded to be the winner. Yes. Senator, a huge part of the recount is from the satellite caucuses, um, which you were doing very well in. Are you worried about, you know, why this recount was called specifically with uh, those those votes in mind? No, I don't think it's just going to be. I, I, you know, I just learned about this a few minutes ago, but I think if they're going to do this recount, it'll be for every precinct uh, in the state. And look, uh, in terms of the satellite caucuses, the, the purpose of the satellite caucuses, which is a good purpose, you know, one of the problems that you have with a caucus, it takes place at 7 o'clock in the evening. Well, what happens if you're a working person? What happens if you're a mom who has two kids and you can't come out uh, to a caucus? And what I think the Iowa Democratic Party tried to do correctly is to say, okay, if you can't come out, if you're a student in a night class, uh, we will provide you an opportunity to vote. And most of the people I think who voted are working class people, and you're right. We did very, very well in those satellite caucuses, and I'm proud of that victory there. Okay, yeah. How are you? Uh, Joe Biden said yesterday that Donald Trump is desperate to pin the socialist label, label on our party. Why are you so certain that your own self-identification as a democratic socialist won't have serious blowback in November? Let me tell my good friend Joe that when we're dealing with somebody like Donald Trump who lies all of the time, he will pin any label that he wants on any candidate. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but I think the agenda that we have is the agenda that speaks to the working families of this country. And let me tell you something else. We will expose Trump not only for the liar, pathological liar that he is, but for the fraud that is total fraud. And this is a man, as all of you know, who spends half his life demonizing the undocumented in this country. Oh, he just hates the undocumented. How terrible it is. And yet, as a private businessman, he hired, quite knowledgeably, hundreds and hundreds of undocumented workers in his resorts and in construction projects so he could save money. This is a guy who says, oh, I hate outsourcing. We got to make sure that corporations uh, create jobs here in the United States, not go to cheap labor countries abroad. This is a businessman who manufactured his products in low-wage countries abroad, in Turkey, in China, and in other low-wage countries. He is a fraud, he is a liar, and we will expose him for what he is. This is a man who, during his campaign, he said, my tax plan, you know, is going to not benefit the wealthy, it's going to benefit working families. 83% of the benefits of his tax plan have gone to the top 1% over a 10-year period, and we end up with the absurdity of companies like Amazon, which made $10 billion in profit last year, last year not paying a nickel in federal income taxes. So we will have uh, an opportunity during this campaign to expose Trump not only as a liar, but as a fraud. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Senator Sanders. So Michael Bloomberg is skipping the early states. There'll be a debate tomorrow night. He won't be on the stage. Do you think it's fair that the Democratic Party uh, altered or revised the rules to I put him? Wait, wait. Let me at least put the question. Just give me the answer. Even though you, I think you, you know where I'm going. Question. You know right. where I'm going. Okay. Do you think it's fair that the rules are now allowing Michael Bloomberg 
to come in. And I'm looking at you as I see your slogan there, Bernie, not the billionaire. Uh, so could you comment also on the billionaires. We have an S at the you end have of that. An S. All right. So could you comment not only on the debate, but on the even more money that Bloomberg is putting in the Look, contest? Thank yes, you. Thank you for the question. And I knew what the question is. I was going to answer it the same way. You got to make sure, though. Okay. No, I think it is an outrage. Look, rules are rules. And people like uh, Julian Castro, played by the rules, campaign really hard. Uh, Cory Booker, played by the rules. Tulsi Gabbard, played by the rules. Uh, Andrew Yang, played by the rules. They were here in New Hampshire. They were in Iowa. They have worked really, really hard. And for, based on the rules determined by the DNC, they were unable to participate in one or more uh, debates. And now suddenly, a guy comes in who does not campaign one bit in Iowa, New Hampshire. He's not on the ballot, I guess in Nevada or South Carolina, but he's worth $55 billion. And I guess if you're worth $55 billion, you can get the rules changed. For a debate. So to answer your question, I think that that is an absolute outrage and really unfair. And I say this because these other guys are my friends, the people like Cory Booker or Julian uh, Castro or, or, or Tulsi Gabbard, who work really, really hard. They were excluded, but they're not multi-billionaires. That's wrong. Senator, uh, Senator. Yeah. Uh, two questions. Well, we'll see how the first one goes. <laughs> um, a lot of Democrats are going to hear what you're saying this morning. Members who are actually, or people who actually are members of the Democratic Party, and will say, why not wait? Why not let Iowa finish counting first before declaring victory? Aren't you confusing the process by doing so? Well, I would hope, given the fact that we have waited three days, and now there is the talk of another recount, you know, maybe we might want the decisions of the Iowa caucus before the November election. But I think what is very clear, two points. It is what is not going to change is that we won a very significant victory in the popular vote. We won a very significant victory in the realignment vote. And if you go out on the streets to New Hampshire, you go to Vermont and you ask people, how do you determine who wins an election? Well, from where I come from and where everybody else comes from, the person who gets the most votes wins. We got the most votes. And as I said before, and I got to say this to my friends in the media, is you guys have been putting too much emphasis on these SDEs. There's a confusion that SDEs will determine the number of national delegates. National delegates are important. SDEs do not determine. They determine who the party chair is, the rules of the Iowa Democratic Party. So as I said earlier, I think in terms of, you know, the basic question, all right, Coming out of Iowa, how many delegates do we have? How many delegates does Elizabeth have? How many delegates does Buttigieg? That is not determined by these SDEs. So I think it is fair uh, to say, Ed, that, you know, we won the uh, caucus. And was there something specific? You, you talk about a multiracial grassroots movement in Iowa. Was there something specific you did in Iowa, either targeting certain community or certain part of the state, that you anticipate doing again down sure. the road in the other states. Look, the whole thrust of what our campaign is about is to understand that in America we have one of the lowest voter turnouts of any major country on earth. That's what we do. And the reason for that are manyfold. One of them is that a whole lot of working class people here in New Hampshire, Vermont, all over this country, they're working two or three jobs. 
They can't afford childcare. They're spending half of their income in housing. They can't afford to send their kids to college. And they are saying, who is concerned about me? I turn on the TV and I hear all this blabber. Is anybody worrying about me and that I'm going to retire at 65 and I don't have anything in the bank for retirement? Anyone worried about me? Or is it just the billionaires and the wealthy who determine what goes on in Washington? And a lot of those people say it's all nonsense. We're not going to vote. Why do I want to waste my vote? The whole system is so corrupt. And the essence of our campaign is to talk to those people, to knock on those doors. The doors of black voters and white voters and Latino voters and Asian American and Latin and Native American voters to say, you know what? If we all stand together, yeah, we can take on the billionaire class, which now dominates what goes on in Washington, both politically uh, and from an economic perspective. Yeah, we can create an economy and a government that works for all of us. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Hi, based on these inconsistencies that we're seeing in the results, and because this is the first time that we've had the popular vote results, does this make you question the results of the 2016 Iowa caucuses? And do you think that there should be a caucus system at all? all right, that's a good question. I don't want to revisit uh, 2016. All I can say is you're right. We fought for, by the way, the fact that we now have clear results of the popular vote is something that we fought for. That did not exist in 2016. Now, I can't give you a definitive answer as to what happened in 2016. I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. It turned out that in 2016, I think Secretary Clinton got one or two more delegates than we got uh, in the state process. There is some supposition that we actually won the popular vote. I can't say that definitively. I can say definitively that in 2020, we did win the popular vote. And I want to reiterate to you, so we're clear. You got 180,000 people voting. When you got eight candidates, when you win the popular vote by 6,000 votes, that is a pretty good victory. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You've said the, the process in Iowa should not repeat itself, but yes. do you think the caucus itself should remain first? I think it depends on how you do it, but the Iowa caucus is just much, much, much too complicated. I mean, on one hand, you've got to determine the popular vote. That you've got to do. If you want to talk about realignment, and you can make the argument. You know, you can make the argument. Okay, what happens if somebody doesn't get 15%? Should those people have an option to go elsewhere? You can make that argument. But then when you get into calculating these SDEs, man, that is enormously complicated. Enorm I mean, the answer is, what I just told you, what I believe to be the case, maybe it's not, I do believe it to be the case, we're going to win by 6,000 votes. We will end up with the same number of delegates to the Democratic National Convention uh, as will Mr. Buttigieg. Does that sound right? Yeah, in a certain sense, it doesn't sound right. One would think that if you win pretty good victory in the popular vote, you would get more national delegates. It's a complicated formula, kind of, uh, and, and so forth. So what will not happen again, if I have anything to say about it, is a caucus this complicated. Um, yeah, that will not happen again. Yes, ma'am. Okay, maybe one more question. Yes, ma'am. Senator, a key part of your argument for the general election, your electability, is that you're going to boost turnout by bringing all these people into the process that haven't been voting. Iowa turnout doesn't look like it was higher yeah. than last time. Does that concern you? It does. And I, I would have liked to have seen a higher turnout. And I think I can probably speak for every other candidate. 
But this is what I do want to say. I want to say where I am very excited and what I think bodes well for the overall uh, 2020 election. And that is that uh, last year, in, the, in 2016, in the Iowa caucus, uh, in terms of voters who were young people from 17 to 29, 18% of the total vote, 18% was under 29. This election, 24%. That was a very significant, very significant increase in young people participating in the Iowa caucus. And actually, uh, as I understand it, it turns out to be even higher percentage-wise than the turnout of young people in 2008 when there was a massive turnout and Obama won. So that does give me a lot of optimism. I believe, as I have said many times, that the young people of this country, the younger generation, uh, is the most progressive young generation in the modern history of this country. And to defeat Trump, we are going to have to mobilize young people who are concerned deeply about climate change. They're concerned deeply about racism and sexism and homophobia and xenophobia. Uh, they are concerned and very worried about the kind of student debt that they are carrying. They're worried about the cost of housing. If we can mobilize, and Iowa is a good start in that process, if we can mobilize and bring young people into the political process, I think it will have a very positive and profound impact uh, on the general election. Thank you all very much. What about the